Welcome to the AI Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Schaefer. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of being joined with Jeremy Burton, who is the CEO of, of Observe, and John Watt. If you remember, I recently covered Observability Platform, so it's called Observability Platform, and their, uh, the product Observe has recently raised $50 million in debt, um, and they're launching a bunch of new generative AI features. So I recently covered this on the podcast. I wanted to bring them on. Um, Jeremy is the CEO, and John Watt is a co-founder. And they both bring a really rich background. So I'll give you a little a little bit of info on both of them. So Jeremy, the CEO, um, which is, of course, of Observe Incorporated, a cutting-edge SaaS observability platform. They have uh, a really, he has a really distinguished career in enterprise software with giants like Oracle, Veritas, EMC. He also holds positions on the board of Snowflake and McLaren F1. John Watt, who is the co-founder, has a rich technical background ranging from developing metaverses like Roblox and IMVU to pioneering AI advancements in observability. His contributions include creating the temporal query language, Opal, and driving high-turbo innovations such as convolutional networks for robot racing cars. Really excited to have both of you guys on the podcast today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Yes, great. So what I wanted to kick this off with, uh, kind of asking you both is, you know, Jeremy, maybe we'll, we'll start it off with you, you know, having been part of some major software companies like Oracle and EMC, what kind of inspired you to transition into the startup world and lead Observe Incorporated? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yeah, I think... Um... Bigger companies, um, I mean, it's a good way to, to learn, but I think you get to a point where you realize that you're, you're sort of fixing other people's problems. You know, the, the companies like Oracle, I mean, I, I played a very small role in that journey, but I wasn't really responsible for its success. And so as I went through my career, I was more like, okay, could I do something like this myself? Could I build something? and build a team and build a company and, and not sort of convince myself that I was responsible for the sex, uh, the success, but really wasn't, you know? So yeah, I think you get to a point where you're like, okay, I want to do this for myself. And, and hence, you know, had the opportunity to, to come to observe. Very, very cool. Um, I think, I think, yeah, it's a fascinating journey. I think a lot of people can relate there. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs see, see kind of that similar uh, journey to kind of founding companies. John, you're, you've had a really diverse career um, from metaverses like Roblox to machine learning at IMVU. How have these experiences kind of shaped your vision for Observe? Well, so um, after I um, started very, very early with metaverses at there.com in uh, very early 2000s, um, okay. trying to build a metaverse on a modem, and you know, that didn't work. And, <laughs> you know, I tried a few more times uh, through companies like... Uh, Torterra and and IMVU and Roblox and each time I was there I had to allocate people from my team 
to figure out what the hell was going on. Because, uh, you know, you have all of these server farms and they all talk to each other about what's going on. This distributed simulation and there's, uh, you know, an economy or credits and whatever. And all of this is going on. Um, and nobody knows what's going on. It's really, really hard to figure out and debug. And I had to always allocate people to build the tools that I needed. Uh, so when the opportunity came up um, and I met uh, the fine folks at Sutter Hill who was putting together a new kind of observability company that would basically build the tool that I had hoped to add. Right? I'm like, I'm going to build that because I know I need it. That is, that's so cool. Yeah, and I think that's really the, the dream, right? It's to find something that you're so passionate about, you're working on, and then you have the opportunity to really dive into it. So, Jeremy, maybe um, you can kind of give the listeners a little bit of an overview on Observe and Observability, what you guys are working on, what you're solving for customers. And just give us an overview of yeah, the thing that attracted me was the way that, I mean, the, the co-founders, I mean, John obviously been, been in that early bunch. Um, the way they were approaching the problem, I, I look back at my career and I've always enjoyed working with data and large volumes of data. And what struck me when I first started talking to the guys was that they were approaching observability as a data problem. Um, you know, today people can't troubleshoot problems because they're looking in four or five different systems to, to figure out what's going on. And and the, the thought was quite simple that, you know, if you put the data in one place, if you had all the data in one place, it would be easier to relate that information. And of course, if you're troubleshooting a problem that you've never seen before, you want to get a data point and then quickly navigate to another data point, which is related to give you more context. And so the way the team were approaching it was as a data problem, um, if you can curate the data, you can navigate quickly to related contexts and so you can find root cause um, of a problem. And, and I think with, with sort of modern distributed applications, which change every day, you know, you, you get unknown problems in production every single day. And so then it's about how fast can you troubleshoot? And so yeah, that, that's really what we're trying to do. And if we can save people a little bit of money as well, even better. I mean, the, you know, the architecture that we built on, uh, we would claim it was a lot more economic than the you know, products that were architected maybe 10 or 15 years ago. But really, it's all about troubleshooting problems and, and bringing, bringing data together to, to do that. That's fascinating. Yeah, I think you have, to do, you have a really, really cool mission and kind of purpose of what you're doing there. John, a question for you, kind of being one of the original co-founders on this project. Tell us a little bit about um, the early days of the company. What did that look like? Did you have a group of people that were working on this? How did you come up with really the, the core idea? Um, were you one of the people that started from the very beginning? Were you brought on? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, I came in very early. A few co-founders came in a month or two before me. Um, we were sitting in a conference room uh, down in Palo Alto uh, where we were basically squatting uh, and, and trying to figure out how do we... Uh, and, and Snowflake was... Uh, a product, but they hadn't gone public yet. They were, you know, um, that was actually years in the future. But we knew that Snowflake was super powerful. In fact, two of uh, the co-founders at the time came out of the technical team at Snowflake and had sort of written okay. them part of that execution engine there. So we knew exactly how to make it go fast. And then we were thinking, okay, so Prometheus can only do, you know, like time series. Uh, Oracle can do joins, but doesn't understand about time. What happens if you sort of cross-product these two things together? Uh, so you inflate you this big volume of uh, questions you can ask and then answers you can get by looking at both time and joining at the same time. Uh, and it took us a fair amount of time to sort of iterate on what would that look like? How do we get the data? 
turns out we like semi-structured data uh, rather than two structured data. Because if you try and impose too much structure on the world, the world isn't going to compete or um, uh, agree with you. Um, so, so we're taking semi-structured data. We understand both how to join things and how to uh, look at time. Uh, and uh, uh, once that clicked, uh, we started sort of moving in the direction to actually build uh, the platform we have today. Very cool. Yeah, I, I love hearing those early stories. Um, I think it brings it. It gives you a lot of context on where you are today and kind of what inspired this move. Jeremy, for you, um, something I'd love to ask you about is, you know, Observe kind of promises some fairly significant reductions in the mean time to resolve incidents. I'm wondering, I know it's kind of technical, but I wonder if you can share kind of the core technology or approach that makes this possible. Yeah, the the, the secret sauce is something we call like the data graph, I mean, as, as John mentioned a second ago, uh, we chose early on uh, to use Snowflake as the repository for data. Um, most of the folks in this space uh, in the past have built their own database, but we were sort of convinced or convicted that um, a commercial database, you know, Snowflake in particular, was the way to go because it could do a pretty good job of, of, of time series, a pretty good job of unstructured or semi-structured data. Um, and so we, we, we sort of set out down that path. And, and obviously observability, if, if you're looking at a problem and you want to find related context, then a relational database of which you know, Snowflake is in that family uh, seems like a useful uh, thing to use. And so uh, the, under the covers, you know, we, although we ingest you know, tens or in some cases hundreds of terabytes of data today, a, a, a day from certain customers, the magic is how we curate this data into a graph. And then the, the data sets in the graph, we, we relate them. And so take a, I don't know, a Kubernetes environment, you know, you could go from a customer to a session, to the pod that that session's on, to the container, to the image, to the Jenkins build logs, and see which changes have gone into the code that the customer experienced the error in. And it, it, it seems like, well, yeah, of course you'd wanna do that, but nobody does that today. They, they sort of do iterative breadcrumb searches, which, you know, if you've got hundreds of terabytes of data going in every day, it takes forever. So that, that that's sort of a little bit of the magic behind the scenes. That's very cool. I think that the magic is really important for, you know, really differentiating yourself from the company. And that's kind of what I would love to ask you about, John, is I'm wondering if you can kind of shed a little bit of light on some of the unique capabilities um, in AI that Observe is kind of uh, forging, especially given, you know, your expertise in the field. Oh, absolutely. Um, the payload data that customers send us is measured in you know gigabytes per second, right? You can't really take gigabytes per second and throw them at a modern LLM because LLM throughput is measured in like tokens per second. Um, but the metadata that we have about what your payload data is uh, that is entirely navigable by a, a modern uh, a modern transformative. Um, so we have we have built a number of assistive technologies, if you will. Uh, so, so remember when Siri came out and you started talking to your cell phone or Alexa came out and you started talking, you to, uh, um, started talking to your light switches and whatever. All right, so now uh, now we have these models that understand human language and you can start chatting with your tools instead of uh, you know having to try and navigate menus to remember where some features are. So we start out with a very, um, uh, you know, instead of reading documentation, you can ask the chatbot about the system. And then instead of trying to remember all the rules for a regular expression, you just sort of paste an example of a thing and we can tell you, okay, here's the regex that will, that will match this thing. 
Um, but we go all the way up to our, our query language, Opal, where, uh, you know, you need to uh, understand how do I group things? How do I aggregate things? How do I window things? How do I join things? Um, we can help you with that. It turns out that because Opal is fairly new and uh, the models you can buy off the shelf, they're trained on sort of the internet up to 2021 or whatever. And there wasn't much of Opal on the internet in 2021. So uh, we had to train our own for it for that part. Um, and we're using uh, sort of the medium size, the sort of seven to 16 billion parameter models for that. Um, yeah, and, and, and that's how, it, how we've gotten so far. Now, what we're looking to do is we're looking to train these models on how we run systems. So we have incidents, we record those incidents, we generate like a, a, uh, a data set of what does it mean to have an outage and what does it mean to debug this? Uh, and we're looking at training a new model to uh, assist people who, uh, who have outages. Um, so that we can then deploy that with, uh, you know, best practices and, and help, uh, if you will, to uh, our customers. That's something to look forward to. Very so cool. Yeah, that's definitely exciting. Definitely a lot to look forward to in this space. So much innovation. Um, Jeremy, I'd love to ask you, you know, of course, the made headlines a while back uh, or recently when I, you know, I saw a TechCrunch article where essentially you guys raised uh, $50 million in debt to kind of, uh, and you've been launching these new AI features. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what, what you guys' plans are, what you plan on uh, investing in as a company, what are some exciting things you can look forward to? Uh, what, are, what are your plans from that? Yeah, um, it, it's a high-quality problem these days in that we have money and we've got to figure out how to, to, to spend it. Um, look, I think, I think John and the engineering team have, have done a great job in the past year r really getting the product to what we would call market fit, meaning... We can't just solve a problem for a handful of companies. We feel like we built a product which can solve a problem for thousands or even tens of thousands of companies. And so a lot of the money is going to go towards the, the Salesforce expansion. Um, you know, Once you think you've got something, then it's a question of how can you get that something into the hands of, of more people. And I think Observe in particular, uh, it, it is definitely geared more towards the uh, larger enterprises. I think that's where the, the big win is. And as much as we are going to have like a product-led growth motion, there's no getting away from the fact that we're going to need to build an enterprise sales team to take the product uh, to larger organizations. So that, that's a big area of focus. Um, the second thing I'd say, I mean, John had mentioned uh, the investment in some of the AI features. I mean, we do believe that uh, generative AI, at least, uh, that the productivity gains are real. And the, the more novice the user I think the more real the productivity gains are. So we're, we're pretty excited about what we can do there to, to get new users up to speed and, and, and even, you, you know, be, a, be an assistant for a, a seasoned user as well. So that's a big area of focus. Um, and then scale is, in, in the business that we're in, volume of data is always the constant challenge. Um, we, we've scale tested the platform up to about a petabyte um, a day from a single customer. Um, then, okay, that's, if you're like, that's the easy bit. Once you've ingested that data, how do you enable people to query it in a timely fashion? So I think that that's another sort of the, the less fashionable, like back end of the product, um, mm. I think is always going to be a challenge for us. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, there's definitely a lot of challenges and that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about too, John is based off of everything you're working on, all these new AI started working on, what have been the biggest challenge uh, in implementing and working on some of these AI, new AI features? 
Oh, it's absolutely the hallucinations. So, uh, you know, so, sometimes when we started out, our language assistant or our co-pilot uh, would recommend, uh, you know, like an InfluxDB query or a Splunk query, which our system doesn't understand, right? Uh, which is why we had to train our model so it understood about Opal. And sometimes even the model we have trained will come up with a suggestion for like, here's what you should do. That's obviously how you should solve this problem. And it doesn't work. Uh, the interesting thing about that is that often at that point, the reason the, the models infer these things is that, well, that's what sort of the zeitgeist, what the internet thinks should work. And maybe that's actually a good idea. And actually it turned out to be easier to implement some of those features than to try and make the models not recommend those features. So, Product product management through AI is a new thing now. I think I don't think we're going to report, but uh, it's it's been an interesting approach to some of these. Yeah. Instead of fixing the hallucination, you actually change your product to match the hallucination, then it's no longer the hallucination. <laughs> it's like the, the classic: is it a bug or is it a feature? Right. So. Now, the good news there is that we are in the observability space. So the reason we understand these is that uh, when a user uses our system, they have a little thumbs up and thumbs down. We build dashboards on our own stuff that we go through and we say, okay, here's where it works, here's where it doesn't work, here's where it takes too long, here's where we're doing well. Uh, so observing your AI implementation and actually paying attention to it is usually, usually important. This thing doesn't solve itself, right? It needs a lot of guidance, it needs a lot of help, it needs a lot of iteration. And we built tools on top of our own platform uh, to help us iterate on that. And that's been very, very helpful. Uh, we might blog in the future about this too, because it's, uh, it's delivering a lot of that. Very cool. Yeah, I think a ton of value comes from all of that. Jeremy, I wanted to ask you, so I know you sit on the board for Snowflake. Based on your vantage point from there, to kind of, you know, uh, being the CEO here and everything you guys are working on, what are some of the big shifts that you think will be coming to the industry because of AI in the future? What are some of the big, you know, changes? A lot of people are talking about a platform shift with AI. What are, what are some of the big changes that you're seeing um, from kind of your position? Yeah, I mean, the, the great thing about the generative AI is it's a, it's an abstraction, right? It's, it's a higher level way of interfacing with a system. And I think that then makes the system more accessible. And so uh, if you're like me and have been maybe an enthusiastic amateur with SQL, well, now I can interface with a database like Snowflake in a much more natural way. That means I can probably answer more questions. I, I probably can't figure out an, an outer join, but I can ask an, a question in a natural language that would result in an outer join. Therefore, without any help, I'd, I'd be able to answer my question. And so I, I think a lot of the the productivity gains we see from an observed perspective are relevant a level down at a database level as well. I, I think uh, Snowflake at the end of the day, uh, uh, an LLM or a model um, is, is, is made or, or trained on data. And so I know there's, there's sort of plans afoot inside uh, Snowflake to you know, set up pipelines which would move the data seamlessly from your Snowflake database to go and train a, a model which would reside inside Snowflake. And then maybe we can access the data that's in that model uh, using SQL. Um, you know, it's a very, very natural way for database peoples to interface with LLMs. A lot of people after me right now, just... Uh... Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, John, what I would love to ask you about is, you know, from controlling robot racing cars with convolutional networks to building observability platforms, for you, what kind of drives your passion for innovation and technology? Oh, it's building things that actually help people. Um, 
and building things that help people using skills that I had. So like, I'm not going to go out and solve world hunger because I'm not a biologist. I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm not a good farmer. Uh, but I like using software to make things that makes uh, other people's and, and my own life easier, uh, right? That That's what engineering is. It's like optimize and optimize and optimize and make the world every day better. Yeah, I think uh, I love that. I think that's such a, an important driver and uh, that's, uh, that's really powerful. Jeremy, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you see, you know, obviously on the board of Snowflake, CEO here, you're, you're working with a lot of big people. What are some of the biggest misconceptions, some of the things that you think people, perhaps in the industry, in the software industry, are getting wrong when it comes to AI? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, well, we've been through a number of generations of AI, right? I, I mean, I, being old, I can I can probably comment on the fact that I probably f heard my first AI pitch in the mid-90s. Okay. And so, I mean, in tech, we we love a good trend, right? It's it's it, We're more like the fashion industry at one level. We Things go in and go out of fashion and AI is the new fashion and and so I think the 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 the, the danger in tech obviously is that the hype curve and and what AI can achieve today is way beyond what you can actually achieve today. I mean, you know, John's on the action end of this and you know some of his his daily battles just getting an LLM to to come up with a, a an understandable answer is that that's not trivial but um, I, I think the promise of it and and what it could do by lowering the barrier the barrier to entry for for so many people who are not comfortable interacting with applications and and computers today, I mean that opportunity is vast. And so there's going to be some huge winners. Uh, I think like with all these trends, there's going to be some huge losers as well. And the 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 trick is to you can't afford not to make a bet. I mean we've We've got projects internally here, um, but I think you've got to be careful not to shoot for the moon too quickly. Certainly in, in our position where we're not building LLMs, we're not building a new model, we're building an application and we've got to keep focused on, okay, our user, how would they benefit from AI? How would it make their life easier? And there are a lot of quick wins that we can shoot for, I think, right away that'll give the users some tangible benefits. And I, I think we've got to be a little bit careful not to shoot for the moon right away because the moon is a moving target. Um, and, at, and and at some point, I think you know the, the moonshot will be possible, but I think the folks who go running after that moonshot right away um, often are not the winners. And you, you see this time and time again, you know, I mean, look, Apple wasn't the first company to create a smartphone. Right, Tesla wasn't the first company to create a car, or even an electric car for that matter. Um, but you know, you can't afford not to invest in this new trend, this new fashion, because the benefits will be there. I love that. That is, I think that's really important advice for a lot of people working in the software industry today. Um, listen, as we wrap up this interview here, um, I want, I, I would love to ask John as well for a piece of advice. That's, that's the next thing I want to ask. But then I'll, I'll just put this out here first so you guys can both be thinking about it. I would love to hear from both of you one prediction, maybe uncommon, unpopular, or just something not a lot of people are thinking about, but one prediction that you have about uh, where AI goes in the next three years that not a lot of people are thinking about. But before we get to that, John, what is one piece of advice you feel like you could um, you could give to companies that are working on implementing AI? People are, you know, 
other employees, other people that are really putting the technology out. So uh, pick something that you actually want to solve and then uh, set up good metrics or a good way of seeing uh, whether you're solving that or not and then iterate until it's actually solved. Don't, don't boil the ocean and don't you know, just stumble around blindly. Um, know, know what you're doing, know what you're going for and track what you're going for, for so you can see it. That, yeah, I love that. That is such solid advice. So important. All right, Jeremy, what is your prediction on the next uh, the next wave of AI? Um, yeah, I think AI, not only is it like a, a promising technology, I, th I think it's going to reshape organizations. Um, I I'll give you a quick example. John mentioned earlier that we're working on an incident assistant so that, you know, I've got a problem with my software. Uh, it's affecting my users. Uh, typically, what would happen is that you would have an entire separate organization DevOps team, for example, that would then go investigate. They would get their data together. They would create an incident channel. You know, they'd call a code red and get everybody that was involved and 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 work their way through it. Um, I I think the barrier to entry for engaging in that escalation of that incident process is going to be reduced to zero. So I see no reason why an engineer such as John, for example, if, if we saw an issue with the application, we couldn't just use AI to you know, create that incident. When people come in, they can summarize the incident. Um, the the, the, the uh, you know, chatbot or whatever, we can bring any information we need about the incident immediately to hand. We don't need a dedicated separate organization that knows specialized tools in order to do that. We could just ask for it we can get it. So I think it's going to massively eliminate the friction between organizations and you're going to have like a, a, a much sort of uh, better shared set of knowledge for folks to enter a process, which is just going to make collaboration a whole lot better. So I think it's going to redraw the lines on an org chart, not just uh, be an interesting discrete technology to get people up to speed more easily. I love it. That's a great prediction, and it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. All right, John, what's your prediction? Um, that's a good question. So I, I agree that there will be changes uh, based on these technologies. I think that the changes will be, in the short term, smaller than some of the you know AI doomers will say. So, okay, so my prediction is we will not have a conscious AI with its own agency within the next three to five years. That is my prediction. Okay. Okay, that's a good prediction. And um, what would you say to the, the people that believe otherwise? Uh, well, I mean, everybody believes what they believe based on the uh, the facts on the ground. I suggest that they should look at how the models actually work and what they actually do uh, and, you know, form their own opinion on how, how best to use them and how to best mitigate them if they believe that there are risks. Yeah, I love that. John, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the AI Chat Podcast today. It has been a pleasure uh, talking with you, getting your incredible insights and seeing kind of what you guys are seeing in the industry. Um, Jeremy, what's a good place if people want to learn more about Observe, um, if people want to try it out, use it in an organization, what, how can they find you? Yeah, you can just go to observeinc.com. Uh, you can sign up for a free trial and uh, you can get to grips with our, our own chatbot. We call uh, him or her Ollie or it, whatever you whatever the right pronoun is for a, an online chatbot. Um, but yeah, go ahead and try it and uh, see what we've been up to.
Very cool. And to the listener, I'll leave a link in the show notes to go and uh, find Observe Inc. and you know be able to check out the website. Um, thank you so much to for you both to come on the podcast today. To the listener, thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure to rate us wherever you get your podcast and have a fantastic rest of your day.